Well, good morning. How are you guys? I agree with that. I agree with that, Lee. Uh, man, it's good to see you guys. It's fun to be uh, getting to spend some time with you again. I feel like it hasn't been that long since I was here last time, but I think it was summer or something like that. So thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Um, and, and, and I'm also honored to get to stand before you. I'm excited when my dad, the old man, asked me to speak. I don't get to speak a lot at my church, and so uh, it's an honor. And to me, I guess, um, this message is timely. And, and you may find that uh, to be true for yourself as well. Um, we have a, a joke at, at my church where we talk about if, if you speak from your weakness, then you'll never run out of material, okay? And so um, I'll just be up here kind of talking to myself, and you guys can listen in, right? Um, and, then, and then whenever he asks me to speak, he doesn't give me a lot of direction. So if you don't like the message, uh, just email pastorguy at gmail.com. There you go. But I, w- I want to challenge us to do this as we jump into this message. My prayer for us um, is this. As, as Americans, as people who live here, we're, we're busy, right? And it's, and it's loud and, and it's, and it's kind of crazy and sometimes it's hard to, to focus and to concentrate. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as we enter into this message that, that we can kind of put aside everything that we walked in here with and and kind of the noise, maybe it's something with the job, maybe you yelled at the kids on the way to church today, maybe it's something with school. My prayer is that we can, we can quiet our hearts and we can really hear um, what God has for us today and it'll be, it'll be a good day. So let's pray really quick. Father, thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity that we have as your people to gather. Um, your word tells us that there's power when we gather as a people. And so Father, would you, would you be present here? Would you take my, my sinful and flawed words and and just do something divine, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave stuff out, and there's going to be gaps. And so I just pray that you would fill that in and then, and then change us. Lord, our, our, we're here because we want to hear from you, and we want to be more like Jesus. And so I pray that we'd be different walking out than we were when we walked in here today, Lord. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so first a story, just because I like stories. And, uh, and some of you will probably remember this, but uh, there was a time in my life where I feigned myself an entrepreneur. I feigned myself an entrepreneur. See, I started Three Brothers Painting when I was in college. Painted some of your houses and offices, so I hope it's still holding up okay. guess that was a long time ago. It'd be okay to have a repaint by now. But when I graduated, I didn't really have any plans. My brothers were going back to school, and I still had work coming in, so I decided to keep it going. And I had a, a buddy of mine from high school who was doing some similar things, and so we decided to join forces. He was building decks and fences and doing window washing. And we were going to join up and we were going to be entrepreneurs. Just kind of mysterious. I think mostly just because it sounded awesome, right? Like, what do you, what do, you do? Oh, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, right? And we kind of let him imagine like cool cars and nice suits and fancy offices. But no one really tells you exactly what they do. Like they own the, the dog poop cleaning company that, you know, cleans your backyard. If you want to know really what entrepreneurs do, the vast majority, just watch an, an episode of Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. That'll give you a good idea. It's hard work, okay? So, so we were entrepreneurs, and uh, in, uh, in our entrepreneurial endeavors, we decided that we would try our hand at buying a storage unit. We'd try our hand at buying a storage unit. Now, has anyone in here ever bought a storage unit? I didn't think so. Again, um, sounds kind of cool, right? Like they made a show about it and you think we're going to strike it rich. Kind of like we're going out west to the gold rush. 
Someday I'm going to pull my grandson on my lap and tell him about the good old storage unit buying days. I'm going to buy a storage unit. We're going to strike it rich. Well, the, the reality is that I, I don't know if there's a, a dirtier, dustier, more heartbreaking line of work than buying a storage unit. And that's really only because there's such a vast chasm in what you expect is going to happen and what really happens. Like everybody goes into this, they really believe they're going to find that diamond in the rough. They're going to pay nothing for like Civil War era muskets that are worth like $300,000 each. But the reality is they're probably going to overpay for a, a bunch of bags of clothes that someone was going to donate to the goodwill. There's a, there's a vast difference in what you expect and what really happens. And so for those of you who don't know how this goes, you go to the unit, they tell you if you don't pay your rent, they sell your stuff off. So you go to the unit, they open the door and you just stand because you can't go in. It's against the rules. And they peer in with their flashlights and they're whispering because they don't want you to hear their, their bulletproof logic as to why this is a good unit to buy. And it's funny, as that door opens, everybody just becomes like an expert in human nature like super logical. They know exactly what the people were thinking when they put that stuff in there. And they go, they go you, you, but there's a fridge in there though. I don't know if it runs, but you wouldn't put a fridge in a unit with unvaluable items, I promise you that. Or, or I know it looks like there's a lot of junk, but there's a trunk in there. Okay, and everyone knows, man, everyone knows, trunk equals valuable. Okay, you would never store junk in a trunk. I don't care if it rhymes. Okay, wrong. All right, wrong. That, that is not true. And that was ultimately our downfall, you guys. We, we fell for the trunk. <laughs> we fell for the trunk and we didn't even see it coming. And so we, we buy this unit. Expectations are high. We walk in. We're excited. Spring in our step. And I think about four minutes in, um, our hopes started to fade. There were, no, there were no Civil War era muskets in here, you guys. There was no autographed Michael Jordan rookie cards. No antique silverware stowed away for a rainy day. There was, there was nothing. There was a whole lot of nothing. So heartbroken. We're not dissuaded yet. We go, you know what? We can sell this stuff and, and maybe make some of our money back. So we take it all and we bring it back to our shop and we sort through and we go, you know what? We can do this. We're going to have a yard sale, a good old-fashioned Midwest tag sale. So we get into it and we build displays for our items and we put up posters and we advertise on Craigslist. This is going to be the best yard sale humankind has ever seen. Okay? And, and we have the yard sale, and it doesn't go very well. <laughs> it doesn't go very well. I can't remember, but I don't think very many people showed up to our yard sale. And at this point, we were done. And so we decided that we would just go through it. We would take all the things that we wanted, because we already owned it, and we would give the rest to the Goodwill. And so um, I ended up with uh, a Perry Ellis bottle opener, like literally a, for my efforts. So great return on your investment, Mr entrepreneur. <laughs> um, and through all this, there's a point to this. It's kind of a dumb story, but through all this, amongst deciding that we would never do this again, we were struck with the hard realization that even though we'd worked really hard, it didn't really go that well for us. Even though we'd cared a lot and put a lot of energy and time and emotion into this, our, our storage unit endeavor was a bit of a flop. And as I reflected on that moment and, and kind of the funny story that it is now and the life truth that we learned the hard way, my mind kind of wanders to us right here and right now. And I wonder how many of us feel like that now? Or maybe we've felt like that in the past. Maybe we'll feel like that in the future. It doesn't matter how much you care or how hard you work. Things are just challenging. Care as you may, try as you may. We're, we're all kind of keenly aware that that 
um, care and concern and effort. doesn't always equate to things going the way that we want. And, and to be fair, maybe, maybe you're not in crisis today. Maybe things are going okay, but no one in here has everything go the way that they want, right? Did anyone in here have a perfect month? No. How about a perfect week? No. Probably not a perfect day, if we're going to be honest, right? Got into a fight on the way to church or whatever. And I think the reality is, is even if things are okay in this moment, we're all sitting under the umbrella of a culture that, that feels a little bit crazy right now, does it not? If you turn on the news for five minutes and you're going to see wars and you're going to see famine and hunger and murder and sickness and death and, and politics, let's not even go there right now, right? And I think ultimately it feels like, man, maybe, maybe things are a little bit crazy. And I, Listen, I'm my father's son. I am an optimist, okay? The glass is half full for me. And even, even I feel like, where is our hope in this? Like, can we have hope in all this stuff when life doesn't go the way that we want? Can we find hope? I know God, God's word tells us that we can. Jesus himself is quoted saying, in this world you will have trouble. But, but he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. It is a done deal. It is a foregone conclusion. But, but take heart, he says. Have, have hope because, because Jesus. Jesus has overcome the world, and he's, he's making this prediction because he's gone before us, and he knows what it's like to be human, and he knows we're going to get in the midst of confusing situations and hard situations, and we're going to wonder what's, what's going on. And so he's giving us some proactive encouragement. And so I think the question at hand then is, well, how? How do we find hope in all this? And I think in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a story that we can learn a lot from in terms of storms and life and what to do with those. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew 14, 22 through 33, and then we'll put it up on the screen too, and you can follow along there. We'll pick it up in verse 22. And it says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come on out. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, traditionally when people preach about this story, the focus is the, the walking on the water because it's amazing, right? Peter and Jesus defy the laws of physics. They, they walk on water. It's not insignificant. But I think for our purposes here today, um, we're going to find a little bit more significance happening for the people that find themselves in the water. And I think this story is a great picture uh, of life for us. And just like in life, we need to understand a fundamental truth. Okay, and it's this. While, while there's some peripheral things going on in this story, Peter seems like he's playing this significant role. The reality is, is this story is really about Jesus. 
The story is about Jesus, and the point of this story is to, to glorify God and to humble us. And, and the side note is that that's really the point of the whole Bible, to glorify God and to humble us. So every story we read in the Bible should be interpreted through the lens that God is awesome and we are not awesome. Okay? And that, that's it. That's how you read the whole Bible. God is awesome and we are not awesome. God is faithful. And we are unfaithful. God is good and worthy of praise and we are unworthy of praise. But, but we want praise. And so we're constantly trying to make things about us and God is patiently and relentlessly trying to get us to understand that it is not about us. But he knows it's hard. And so he gives us the Bible and even though the Bible wasn't written to us, it was most certainly written for us because God knew that while the people and the situations and the problems would be different in 2,000 years, the, the hearts would still be the same. And so he had it written for us. And so the point of this story is to bring glory to God and to humble us. But I think in the midst of that greater narrative, we can find some parallels to our life. And as I, I was studying this passage, there were three truths that kind of jumped out to me that I think can help us here today regardless of what we walk in here with. And so the story that we're reading comes at the close of another. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. Now, historians agree that back then they just counted men. Sorry, ladies, but, but the truth is they just counted men. So the reality is, is he probably fed more like fifteen or 20,000 people. This, this was a big miracle. And a lot of people saw this. And so, man, his disciples, they're riding high right now. They're feeling pretty good about what is going on, and they got this thing going on with Jesus. They're feeling really good. And then we read that immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, the majority of us wouldn't have a clue how to do this, like ready a boat, like hoist the mainsail and batten down the hatches. Like, I don't know. I'm not a boater. But these guys are, are fishermen. They, they'd spent time sailing on the water. The sea was their classroom, probably their home away from home. This, this was simple for them, okay? And I think even as the storm came up, there was still probably little cause for concern. Because if you're a fisherman by trade on the sea, then, then storms are just kind of a part of doing business. And so they just rallied around each other and high-fived and said, you know, Peter, you go there, and, and Paul, and Ma- Matthew, you row, and, and we're going to get through this no trouble. And then we read on. Then evening came, he was there alone, but the, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. Now, this is just a really nice biblical way of saying that um, it's not going very well for them. They're way out, and now they're in trouble. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Now, we've we got to pay attention to this because it's important and it's easy to miss. So in the sentence before, it said, evening had just come. And then we read that in the fourth watch of the night is when Jesus decides to go to them. At this point in time, these guys would have adhered to Roman maritime law. The Romans ruled the sea and they governed it and they divided the night up into watches. First, second, third, and fourth watch. Each somewhere around three hours. And so, based on this information, we can conclude that these guys were out there battling the wind and the waves for somewhere around nine or ten hours. Which is, that's a long time. So when I'm rowing at the gym, I'm gassed after five minutes. So nine or ten hours go by, I'm dead. I've died, and they're going, what do we do with McCaslin? And they're like, throw him overboard. We need the weight. So I'm dead. Nine or ten hours is a long time. I think seasoned fishermen or not, these guys had to be done. Physically and emotionally spent. And I think just when they're about to give up, 
darkest part of the night, just when they're about to just accept their fate, Jesus comes and he changes things for them. And that brings me to the first truth of our story, and it's this. Sometimes Jesus will allow us to struggle for a time. But that doesn't mean he isn't there, and that doesn't mean he doesn't care about us. Sometimes he'll allow us to struggle for a season. That doesn't mean he's not there, and that doesn't mean he doesn't care about us. And you say, Jordan, how could that be, though? Doesn't, doesn't he see what I have going on? Doesn't he see that it's starting to affect my work or my kids? Or doesn't he see how it's affecting culture and the way things are going? Doesn't, doesn't he see? And, and I say, yeah, he does. He sees you. And while I can't speak on God's behalf to every situation here, I know that in my life, there's been times that God has let me struggle so that I could be humbled by my struggle. And there, there are times when he let me struggle so that I could see that I have nothing apart from him. And sometimes he let me struggle so that I could build faith. And then and, and sometimes he let me struggle for no other reason than he loves me too much to just let me keep going the way that I was going. I, and I, I don't know all of your stories. And I don't know where you've been and, and where you're going. And I sure wouldn't imply that you've done something to land yourself where you are today or will do something to land yourself where you find yourself in the future. But I, but I do know this. I do know that God is deeply interested in spending eternity with every single person in this room. And if he wouldn't spare his own son to make that possible, then I don't think that there's anything he would withhold if it meant that we could come to the saving realization that he's our only hope and our only salvation. See, pain and hardship motivate us to move in a way that that comfortability simply does not. And God is a God of motion. He wants us to move and he wants us to change and he wants us to grow. He loves us too much to let us stay the same. And so sometimes God will let us struggle for a time, and it's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable, but it's okay. And then our second truth comes from the same verse, and it's, and it's really profound. So you're probably going to want to write this down. Okay, are you ready? In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus helped the disciples because he loved them. Kind of obvious, right? Jesus helped those guys because he loved them. But, but how easily do we forget that, though? When we're in the midst of a hard time or a confusing situation, how quickly does our mind go to maybe, maybe God's forgotten me? Maybe, maybe he's sitting this one out. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't love us. How easily do we forget that we have a God that's for us? Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I think one of the primary motivators for God in this moment is compassion for his disciples. Why would you say that? Well, because I know that God isn't a God that is obligated. He's not a God that gets guilted into doing things that he doesn't want to do. And so in this moment, he acts out of his own free and perfect will because he loves these guys and they need his help. But he did wait till the fourth watch. And I think... I think that was because it was at that point the disciples realized that they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't do it on their own. They had no strength left, and they knew after struggling for nine or ten hours that they weren't going to get out of this thing if it was up to them. And, and I think sometimes we make the mistake when we find ourselves in difficult situations of thinking of God sitting up in heaven as just some kind of indifferent referee to haphazardly making calls, not really all that concerned with what happens down here on earth when, when the reality is, is that's not true at all. 
He's actually waiting on the shore, and he's watching you through those first three watches, and he's going, come on, guys. Come on, guys, I know what you need, and I can help you. I, I just need you to stop rowing so hard. I need you to realize that you can't do this without me. I need you to ask, and I can, I can change, change things for you. And I also know that God is, is far, far more interested in changing us than he is in changing things around for us so that we can be comfortable, and he's going to use that struggle to shape us. And then finally in this story, we see that it is the presence of Jesus that changes things for the men in the boat that day. So it's not, it's not their knowledge of the sea, and it's not their rowing ability or their determination to get to the other side. It's not their experience aboard a boat or, or their hard work. It was simply the person of Jesus that brought peace in that terrifying situation that night. And in this, I think we see that in the storms of life, in the confusion and the chaos and the uncertainty, it's Jesus' presence that is a promise of peace for us. Let's pick up our story in verse 25. And it says this, In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it's I. Do not be afraid. He's saying, it, It's I. It's me. Everything's going to be okay, guys. I, I've got this. I know that you're in an overwhelming situation, and I know that these circumstances seem insurmountable, and, and I know you can't even fully recognize my face through the, through the wind and the waves and the storm, and, and I know you can't fully grasp it's me, so hear my voice. Know that it's me, and know that this is going to be okay. And Peter answers him. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he says, Come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. It's Jesus' presence that brings about the peace that his disciples so desperately wanted in that moment. Now, I know for some of you that seems like a terribly predictable thing for a pastor to tell you, right? Cast your cares on him. It's his presence that will answer your problems, that his presence will, will calm the storms of life. Focusing on him can change things for you. Listen, I get it. In fact, if someone walked up to, the me, to me in the middle of a hard time, we're like, Jesus' presence is a promise of peace. Cast your cares on him. Everything will be okay. I probably would punch him in the nose, which is why I'm staying a safe distance from. But here's the problem, okay? As as followers of Jesus, as those who claim to be followers of Jesus, at some point we've got to decide whether we really believe this stuff or not. We've got to make a decision whether we really believe this stuff or not. And here's what I mean: because of the goodness of the gospel because of the good news of the gospel, the fact that God would enter human history and forsake the perfection of heaven in the, perf- in the person of Jesus and live a perfect life and then die tragically at the hands of those he came to save, but then rise again triumphantly and sit at the right hand of God interceding on behalf of those who would believe in him. Because of that good news, I think we must incline our hearts to put him at the center of our lives. We must incline our hearts to put him at the center of everything because Jesus isn't an add-on. 
He's not, a, he's not an addition to. He's not an addendum to a life that's already been figured out. He's not somebody that we run to when we hit bumps in the road. Jesus is central, and he's necessary, and he's sufficient. Jesus is enough. And I think until we start treating him like that, until we start living our lives like we really believe that truth, let's not be surprised that the wind and the waves are scary, right? And I think, man, the audacity of us believers to think, well, I I was saved by the grace of Jesus, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place, now that I'm struggling and I can't seem to find a way out, i got to just row really hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are are you bound? Do you you feel held under the weight of a temptation or a circumstance or something outside of your control? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake it off and I'm going to row really hard and get myself out. No. No, no, you're not. You can't because you're no match. You're no match for the powers of hell in this present darkness. You will not overcome it because you cannot overcome it. There's no answer within yourself. Your, your own goodness and your own devotion and your own discipline will not save your relationships and it will not save your kids and it will not change your life. There's, there's only one who can do that. And he took your place on the cross. And that's all we've got. That's all I've got. That's all you've got. And I, I heard a pastor say this one time that your greatest challenge It's not your discipline. It's not your devotion. It's not your hard work. Your greatest challenge in life is believing the gospel. Could it be? Could it be true that there is a God whose love is so scandalous, whose love is so deep and so wide and so vast and so high and so inclusive that he would silently stand and and take your place and die for you you while you walk off to live your life? Could it be true? Listen, if Christ's blood is sufficient to save you, then Christ's blood is sufficient to sustain you through everything. And I think the things in life are not insignificant because they trouble us and they weigh us down and they make us anxious. They are significant, but they're also a really good litmus test for us to determine where our our focus is. So Jesus' presence is a promise of peace. Jesus is where our focus must be. And so my question to you today is, if, if you're sinking, if you feel like me and you feel anxious about stuff that's going on, if you're not sure what the answer is, where, where are you looking? Are you looking at the waves and how big they are? Are you listening to the wind and how hard it's blowing? Or maybe, maybe put better, where, where does your hope lie? Does your hope lie in the waves getting smaller and the wind not blowing so hard? Or does your hope lie in the person that can calm the wind and the waves just with his words and with his presence, the one who can change things for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity that we have again to be together as your people. Lord, our prayer today... um, as we sit under a a, a simple message, but a message that I don't believe we could ever hear too much, something that we are going to struggle with this side 
of eternity. Lord, I just pray that this would take a deep seat in our heart, that this would be the beginning of a faith walk for some, encouragement for others, Lord, but that you would ultimately change us, change us from the inside out so that we can walk out of here and be, be different people, not just act differently, but, but be different. Lord, we love you, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.